In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So after much deliberation, we've decided that the next book that we're going to study is Leviticus. Um, so we've already studied Genesis and Exodus, okay? The first two books of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament is called the Torah, um, which is also called the books of Moses or also the books of the law. And the emphasis, of course, um, or one of the, the biggest emphasis um, that we find in the Torah and the books of the law is the law, right? Is what is it that God has asked the, the Israelites to do, the laws to follow um, from the very beginning. The book of Leviticus goes into a lot of detail um, as to uh, what are the, the, the ritualistic rites and laws that the people are called to follow. Um, so Genesis is focuses on like the creation and the fall of man into sin. Okay. Exodus shows like the salvation of the people, right? Because the focus is on the Exodus from Egypt. The people were slaves in Egypt and God brought them out of Egypt to liberate them. Okay. And, and, and it shows also the history of Israel until the establishment of the tabernacle of meeting. Right. And, and a lot of the initial things that God told the people to do um, in the book of Exodus. Leviticus is more of like the practical life. Now that we have been redeemed by God, now that we are our own nation, our own people, um, how is it that we should live? Right. And so in, in some sense, it's a liturgical book um, because it speaks a lot about the rites. Like you can imagine that this is a book that the priests would refer back to to be able to know what are all the different rites that should be followed. Right. It goes into a lot of detail of how the sacrifices should be performed. What are the different types of sacrifices um, when a person should be declared to have leprosy? When a person should be declared to be clean? What are the, 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 the rights of cleanliness and uncleanliness? Which types of animals we should eat and which uh, types of animals we should not eat? So it's kind of like a Google document of all of the rights, the things that the priest should be following and thus also the people to be um, following. It also speaks about the worship in the tabernacle and how we should pray and so on. Um, the reason it's called Leviticus um, is because it is focusing on what? The work of the Levites, right? The Levites, specifically the priests, the sons of Aaron who were the priests. So it's called Leviticus to refer to, again, a big emphasis of the book has to do with the role um, of the priests. Um, the In Hebrew, um, the book is also called the Law of the Priests, the Book of the Priests, and the Book of Offerings, because specifically the first few chapters emphasize a lot the types of offerings. Um, one thing to, uh, to keep in mind as we're reading today is <coughs> how uh, detailed uh, God is in the way that he's asking to be worshipped. You know, like there are people today who pretty much say, God can be worshipped in whatever way we choose, in whatever way makes us to feel good or to feel close to God or to have a spiritual experience or an emotional experience. All the ways of worshipping God are equal and good, and we should celebrate all of them. Okay, But if you look at the way that God designed things from the very beginning, when he established the nation of Israel, who were his children, right? So in the Old Testament, the only children of God were the Israelites. And he didn't just go to them and say, offer me whatever you want. Give me whatever you choose. You know, he was very specific in the kinds of things he asked the people to offer to him. And actually, when people offered something contrary, 
to what God asks. So like, for instance, there's a, there's a story of people who are offering profane fire, right? And, and so some of the interpretations of this profane fire could be because they offered incense to God with fire that was not from the coals uh, that were already burning in the altar, but they brought fire from somewhere else. Something that could potentially have been like, okay, like maybe it's more practical to do that. Like we didn't have, you know, whatever, whatever the reason, right? But God rejected it, right? Or whenever someone who... When we read in the book of Samuel, whenever Saul tries to offer a sacrifice and he's not a priest and God rejects it, right? So, so the book of Leviticus talks extensively about the limits and the boundaries of worship and how is it that God wants us to worship him. And so if God is so detailed, right, in, in presenting everything, right? We also in Exodus, we spoke about how the tabernacle was to be built, very specific with dimensions and boundaries and materials and colors and everything right um, we should be very careful to not see God as a God who just accepts anything that we offer to him yes he wants us to offer with a sincere heart of course that's the most important thing but a sincere heart is not enough you have to have a sincere heart but you also have to follow what God asked for okay and we'll talk more about this as we go okay the author so we believe that Moses is the author of the book and the, 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 in the book, the, the phrase, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, appears about 30 times, okay? There are some times when um, God is speaking specifically to Aaron along with Moses, and there's one time where, where God um, addresses Aaron by himself, right? So just Aaron. So most of the time, the Lord spoke to Moses saying. Most of the time, it's God speaking to Moses to establish um, all of these rights and rules that were to be followed by the people. Yes. So we have to have the microphones. Forgive me. Uh, is Leviticus not one of the books that is said to, um, yes, written by Moses, but also said to have possibly had another author, like alongside it, kind of? Like yes. So the books of law, right? Aren't they all said to be written by Moses, but also possibly have another? Well, it depends on who you're asking, right? So, mm -hmm. like, in the church, we believe that the majority of the, all of the five books of Moses are attributed to Moses. But mm -hmm. there are some critical, the more critical, like, Bible critics who will come and say, no, there's evidence that says it's not this and not that. Tr according to tradition, it was Moses, right? So that's what we go with. Um, though more modern biblical scholars can try to find evidence that, look, this piece was not written uh, in the same style as this piece, and so therefore this had to be a different author and whatnot. Of course, also, the, the parts that speak about the death of Moses wasn't written by Moses, okay? So, 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 yes, it's possible that other people wrote along with Moses, but Moses was the primary author. Gotcha. Okay. As far as the date and place, um, so, again, this was at the time where where Moses was receiving from God a lot of the commandments on Mount Sinai, okay? Um, and it says that it was in the first month of the second year of the exodus of the people from the land of Egypt, okay? So think about uh, after one year had passed from the exodus, and we are now in the first month of the second year, so pretty much one year after the exodus happened, and the people are still in the desert, uh, and um, this was on Mount Sinai that Moses is receiving a lot of the laws okay that are coming to him we can kind of roughly break up Leviticus into seven sections 
Okay, the first seven chapters are speaking primarily about the sacrifices. What types of sacrifices should be offered? And this is actually very useful to, to learn this, and it's kind of like there's a lot of details and information about it, but these same sacrifices you will hear mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament. Burnt offering, peace offering, grain offering, sin offering. Um, what are all these different offerings, right? And what's the difference between them and what are they for? That's one of the things we're going to look at. That's the first section, okay? Then it speaks about the priests, the consecration of the priests, right? How should the priests be consecrated? Then there is a description of the statutes of purification, okay? Meaning what makes a person clean or unclean in the eyes of God. Then there is a discussion of the Day of Atonement, Okay, which is uh, one of the feasts that the 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 the, the Hebrews would would um, celebrate. Then there's a description of the altar, okay, uh, and then more statutes of consecration, and then finally there's feasts and other vows that the people should be making. Okay, those are the the primary sections we're going to talk about. Okay, so we'll start in chapter one, which speaks about primarily the burnt offering. Okay. The first five chapters, they describe five different types of sacrifices um, that God required of the people. The first chapter is the burnt offering, which maybe is the one that we're the most familiar with. There's also the grain offering that we're going to talk about in chapter 2, the peace offering in chapter 3, the sin offering in chapter 4, and then the trespass offering also known as, yes, the trespass offering in chapter 5. Okay, and we'll talk about the differences between each of them. Um, each of these offerings, like when we try to look at it from the spiritual perspective, what was the purpose of these offerings, right? It was the idea that there is a sacrifice that is to be made by the people in their worship. So that's one thing. Everyone who is wanting to worship God worships by making some kind of a sacrifice, meaning they're taking something that belongs to them, right? Something that is valuable, and they are offering it to God, right? They're not selling it for money. They're not keeping it for themselves. They are offering it to God. And so even the quality of the kind of thing that God has asking for the people to give is to be high quality. You know, later on, God rebukes the people because they are offering to him, say, animals that nobody wants anyway. The animals are blind or maim, lame in some way. Like nobody's going to use these animals to do anything. And so we're like, well, since they're not going to be useful to us, we're just going to go ahead and offer it to God, right? Maybe this is like us saying, we're going to take like the time that's already useless to us, the time that we're, we've, you, we don't have anything else going on, and that's the time we're going to pray, right? We're going to take the dead time when we're already driving in the car, and that's going to be the time that we pray, right? So it's like saying, saying like the thing that like is not useful to us anyway, we might as well give it to God, okay? Whereas what God is saying is, I want you to give me the best thing. The, the animal without blemish, the animal that would have been the most useful for you, the animal that if you had sold it would have given you the most money, or even like for the grain offering, give me the best of the grain, okay? So there was a sacrifice in the sense that the person is sacrificing something to give, okay? Um, also, each of these sacrifices and the whole sacrifice system was not because somehow these specific things were special to God. It's not like the killing of a bull. It's like somehow, wow, God is so excited there's a bull that's been killed, right? One was the, the sacrifice that's coming from the person, but two, it was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, which was the Messiah, right? All of the sacrificial system was designed to prepare people for the concept that it is through the sacrifice that our sins are remitted, through sacrifice that we, our sins are forgiven. 
which is why in the New Testament, the whole sacrifice system stopped, right? There was no more sacrifices that were being offered in the New Testament because Christ was, when St. John called him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he's the Lamb of God because just as in the Old Testament they would offer the Lamb, right, as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, Christ was the true Lamb who actually saved everybody through his own sacrifice, okay? So, so each of these sacrifices is like, like drilling into the mind of the people the concept that there is sacrifice, there is the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, and so that when eventually the Messiah comes, they can recognize his sacrificial act as being the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of everyone. Now, of course, they didn't see it. They didn't realize it. They, they, they misconstrued or misunderstood what the Messiah was going to be not as a sacrifice. They saw him just as a king and powerful, and, and that's why they didn't recognize Jesus as being the, the Messiah. But that was part of the emphasis on these things, okay? So the offerings point to the sacrifice of Christ. Um, also, the idea that the animal sacrifices revolve around the idea of the shedding of blood, okay? The, the blood, the Hebrews understood blood as being like the soul of the animal, like the life of the animal, right, and the soul of the animal, and because man had been corrupted, like we had been corrupted in sin, we needed the soul of another innocent person, right, to pay for the wages of our own iniquity, right, so the animals were innocent, right, the animals didn't commit any sin, the animals had done nothing wrong, we take an animal that is pure, right, and we, um, we, 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 we sacrifice this animal in our place, okay? And actually, the, the people who are making the sacrifice, they would put their hand on the animal, okay? As though they are like, um, they, they are, they are like, like, like symbolically placing their own sins on this animal, right? So when the animal is slaughtered, it's like that animal was slaughtered for the sake of the sins of the person who was making the offering just as Christ was slaughtered for the sake of the people whose sins he was forgiving, okay? Christ was innocent, right? We were not. Um, there are different types of animals that were acceptable in many of the sacrifices, and specifically here in the burnt offering. Specifically here in the burnt offering, there were bulls, Okay, sheep, goats, turtle doves, and pigeons. These were the animals that were acceptable. Um, in that order, because um, the bulls were the most expensive, and not everyone could offer a bull, okay? Uh, and then after that, sheep and goats, the animals of the flock, okay, were cheaper. And then if you couldn't offer that, you could offer the turtle doves or the pigeons or the birds were the cheapest, okay? So even in the way that the, the offerings were structured, they were structured in a way where um, God did not make them impossible to fulfill. So he didn't ask the people who were like the poorest people to offer the same thing as the wealthiest people. Like saying, again, God is going to accept from us what we're able to offer to him. He is not being unreasonable, right? Maybe there are those whom much has been given and God is expecting them to give much, but there are those to whom less has been given and he's expecting them to give. Still, they're not saying, no, we, we, we can't give anything but they are giving less, okay? They are giving less. Um, the burnt offering, specifically, was the only sacrifice 
Like it was given special emphasis because it was the only sacrifice that was not allowed for the non-Jewish people to offer. So whenever there would be proselytes, proselytes are like Gentiles who converted to Judaism, who would live with the Jews, who believed in God and who practiced um, the Jewish religious system, even though they were not ethnically Jewish, okay, they would not be allowed to offer this burnt offering. The burnt offering was seen that only the Jewish person um, could offer. Okay, and the term burnt offering is also called holocaust. Okay, the word holocaust that we get is another word for this offering. And holocaust is made up of two words, hollow and, and, and causes. Causes means fire and hollow means holy. Holy as in the whole, like the whole thing. So it's kind of like the whole animal is burned, right? The, the sacrifice is wholly burnt uh, with fire. Okay. So we'll start reading. It says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. Okay? So there's two animals here he's saying. He's saying, When you, and again, it's, notice how it says the Lord called to Moses. So he's speaking to Moses. Um, and he spoke to him, what? From the tabernacle of beating. So, so Moses is in the tabernacle. Remember, book of Exodus described the whole details about the tabernacle and how it should be laid out. Moses is in the tabernacle. God is speaking to Moses who is in the tabernacle, and he's telling Moses, speak to the children of Israel, meaning I'm establishing the, the, for the people of Israel like this law of holiness and sacrifice that they have to live by. And Moses, you are the prophet. So I'm speaking to you, and you are now speaking to them. When any one of you brings an offering, so meaning you want to offer to the Lord, you want to offer sacrifice to God, you want to show thanksgiving to God, you want the forgiveness of your sins, all of this. When you're offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. So he's giving two of the examples now. The herd is like the bulls, the flock is the sheep and the goats. If his offering is the burnt sacrifice of the herd, meaning a bull, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Okay, so this is the offering of bulls. He's saying the animal shall be male and without blemish. Okay, so also we see this symbolism parallel to Christ who was male and without blemish. He was without sin. Okay, and it is offered by free will and not by compulsion. Meaning it has to come from that person that they are choosing to offer this. Okay, they're wanting to offer um, this um, this sacrifice that is being made here is actually something that is optional. There are so, some sacrifices that are required and some sacrifices that are optional. This is one of the optional sacrifices. Okay, the burnt offering. The person who is offering it, it must offer it to God with his own free will, and the person who is bringing. The, the offering is bringing it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And I'll show you later. I think there's a picture uh, showing uh, like the tabernacle of meeting shows exactly how that was done. Um, uh, and that the priest is the one who is making the sacrifice, the offering. Okay. Um, what, what kind of comes to my mind about this when we're talking about optional offerings, it, it reminded me of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Right? They're coming to make an optional sacrifice by saying what? We're going to sell all that we have and give it to God. No one told them they had to do that. Right? Like God 
gave in the law, like that we should tithe, which is 10% of our income, but nobody said that we should be uh, selling everything. He, he didn't say that was necessary or required, right? It was an offering. It's not by compulsion. No one went to them and said, you must give this, which is why when they lied and they said that they had sold everything and given it to, to God, it was such a bad lie, right? Because you are lying just to make yourself look good and like in front of the community in front of the people right but you were never required to give this right this was not, not something that you were doing um, that was necessary then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him okay so again he's symbolically placing his sin or being one with this animal okay the 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 burnt offering again it wasn't just for sin it was as a free will offering that could be offered for thanksgiving so it's not this offering is not just to say uh it is for the forgiveness of sins because there's also a sin offering and a trespass offering okay this was like we are offering thanksgiving to god we're wanting to make a sacrifice to god we're wanting to to give of ourselves to god so it's like i am identifying myself with this animal i am seeking like to give myself to god i'm sacrificing myself to to god he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Okay? So it was through the sprinkling of blood that there would be remission. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. So it was very clear from the beginning that in order for there to have been remission of sins, there had to have been the shedding of blood even when in the Old Testament when it was with the animals, right? It was the shedding of blood that brought the uh, the forgiveness, the remission of sins. So here it says what um, the, the man, the person who's offering, okay, he is the one who's putting his hand and he is the one who's killing the bull, okay? Then the priests will take the bull, okay, who are Aaron's sons, shall take the blood and sprinkle it all around the altar, which is right outside the door of the tabernacle. Again, there's a picture of that coming up. Okay. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. So he's going to take the skin off of it, cut the animal in pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. So here you see a picture of the tabernacle. I don't know how clear it is. Um, but you can see that this altar of the burnt offering was in the outer court of the tabernacle right outside the door so the people who are coming into the outer court and they're bringing the animal they're slaughtering the animal they're giving it to the priest the priest is taking the blood of the animal sprinkling it around the altar and then lighting this fire in the altar of burnt offering to burn the animal on it okay the animal therefore is burnt where outside the tabernacle right in the outer court and this parallel, okay, is is also with Christ. Why? Yes, because Christ was crucified outside of the city. Christ was crucified outside of the city, just as these animals are being burnt and killed outside of the tabernacle, the the the, the tabernacle uh, tent, right? It was within the outer court, but it's outside the tabernacle tent. In Hebrews 13, it says what? For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Okay, so this is again the analogy, the parallelism that we see between 
um, the way that the Jews understood the offerings to be done and, and, and the events that actually happened with the Messiah, right, in the hope that they would make these connections and begin to uh, understand. <coughs> then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. So they would take the parts of the animal and they would lay it um, uh, on the uh, on the wood that is burning now in fu with fire. But he shall wash. Yes. Forgive me. Slight, slight tangent. But with all these, with all the prophecies that were fulfilled, with all the analogies, with the par the the parallel like nature of the Old Testament and the New Testament, why like why do the Jews deny it so like confidently? Like I know there's a verse in in the Book of Isaiah that like uh, they use as backing, but it's like one verse against like all of Scripture. So like, what's the reason? <coughs> So at least <coughs> at the time in the New Testament, who were the, the primary teachers of the law? Were the Pharisees, right? And so the Pharisees were not concerned with truth as much as they were concerned with maintaining their authority and their power, right? The, the Pharisees had been given by the Romans a special kind of authority because the Pharisees were helping the Romans. The Roman prefect, or like the, the governor of the Roman province, because Israel was a province of the Roman Empire at the time in the New Testament. So what is it the governor wanted for all of these Jewish people that he didn't really understand? He didn't really, you know, he didn't believe in their religion, in their minds. He, they were very fanatical religious people, and their religion is very different from the Roman religion of paganism and polytheism, right? And so these, like, Jewish people, like, he just wanted to control them, contain them, keep them quiet. So how did they do that? Well, they got the, the Pharisees and they told them, look, you guys are the leaders of the, of the Jews. It's your job to keep them quiet. It's your job to keep them in control. And we are going to grant you authority and, and all these benefits um, in, in exchange for what is it you're going to give us? You're going to maintain the peace. Okay. So the Pharisees, whenever now they see Christ, he's coming and he's starting to take authority from them. Because people don't want to follow the Pharisees. They're wanting to follow Christ, right? And so when the Pharisees saw that this started to happen, they became very jealous of him. That's why even I don't remember where it is in the New Testament, the Gospels, where essentially the Pharisees are having a conversation with each other. And he says, the Romans are going to take our place. They're gonna get, like, they, like we're going to lose our place in the eyes of the Romans because this man is performing all these miracles. The people are following him. They're listening to his teaching. They're doing all this stuff. And so a big reason why, they crucified him, and a big reason why they didn't promote the idea, because again, they're the teachers of the law. They're the ones who could look at all of this and make all these connections, right? They're the ones who could see it more clearly than anyone else, because the simple people, many of them didn't even read, right? Like essentially they're following whatever they're told um, by the Jewish leaders. So the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, who were the priests, even though they might have been able to look at some of this and make these connections, they had they were biased and they had other reasons that they didn't want this to be true. And so they continued to resist it. They continued to speak ba bad about Christ. They continued to tell the people that this man is a blasphemer and this man is a demon-possessed and this man is all this. And so many of the Jewish people believed this, right? So when it came time now for the crucifixion, everybody, all the Jewish people, wanted to crucify him. Right, because they see him this way. Maybe there were some among the Pharisees who felt like maybe he actually is the Messiah, but we just care about maintaining power. 
and maybe there's others who legitimately didn't know and didn't see and then you also have the simple people who also are maybe just following whatever they've been told and they're told that this is person is a blasphemer and so we believe he's a blasphemer um, so a lot of the Jewish people rejected him because they were misled or because they were ignorant right um, and so it, it it became you know at that time like once they decided that we're gonna crucify this man right at that point it becomes very hard for you ever convince a Jewish person oh yeah by the way that Messiah that who was supposed to be your savior the one who's gonna be your king the one who's all that you killed him like he you missed it you killed him right how hard is it to swallow right that at later on after this that it's like our ancestors killed the Messiah that we were waiting for for thousands of years and that in this we lost our heritage we are no longer the children of God and all the Gentiles in the world who believe in him become children of God and we are now left out like it's not an easy thing to believe it's not an easy thing to accept as a Jewish person who has the entire heritage of thousands of years from the very beginning has all of the Old Testament scripture has all this believing uh, we are we were the children of God all of that time and the Gentiles were the unclean ones right we were told don't touch them don't talk to them don't marry them don't do anything and now suddenly you're saying all the Gentiles are the people of God and we are not like it's not a it's not just a switch you can flip it takes a lot of uh, I would say even more than convincing right it really takes somebody who's very open-minded very willing to completely change their paradigm about what they believe in order to accept such a thing after all of that so I would say back then a lot of it was you know of what happened was set the stage by ignorance and desire for authority and jealousy and whatnot um, and blindly following the, the Pharisees and then over time it just became like okay like no this man we reject him he's a blasphemer and we interpret the scriptures in a very physical way rather than a spiritual way right and this man didn't have the characteristics of the physical king actually they tried to make him king and he ran away from that so he didn't have the characteristics they were looking for because they were very physically minded rather than spiritually minded as well did you have yeah no okay sure <coughs> okay so here we said the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts of the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. Okay, But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Okay, So here we have like the washing of water of certain parts of the animal, Okay, specifically the entrails and the legs. And the priest shall burn all of this on the altar, okay, with fire as a sweet aroma. The sweet aroma is saying the burning of this, it's like it's rising up to the top, right? Like like up to heaven for God to like smell it and to accept it and it be like something pleasing to him. Okay. So some of the church fathers they say that the washing with water represents the baptism, and that it is with this combination of these two things, the blood and the water, right? that we have salvation. The, the water comes through baptism, and the blood, of course, is the shedding of the blood of Christ through which we have salvation. Um, and so it is through this that the full work of salvation is accomplished by God, just as blood and water flowed from the side of Christ. So when Christ was on the cross, and he was pierced with the spear, it says on the side came out what? Blood and water, okay? So this blood and water together is a sign of 
like the, 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 the binding of the baptism and the blood of Christ on the cross with the fire to show that this is like the, 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 the path of salvation, the blood and the water. So you have the washing of the animal, you have the blood of the animal, you have the fire of it being burnt, and that this is pleasing to God, and it's like the smell that is coming up from this is a sweet aroma to the Lord. Yes. Question I want to show this. Um, in the New Testament, we we say that uh, God for or God the Son forget for. I'm sorry, God the Son. Um, fulfilled the sa the sacrifice um the that was due to the divine justice right but here it's saying that it was a sweet aroma to the lord and in the hymn this is he who offered himself we say his good father smelled him at the evening watch on golgotha so um is it offered to god the father because when we when we read the uh the book um, economy of salvation by bishop Raphael. We said that he didn't offer himself to God, the Father. He was offering it to the divine justice. But here we see in the scripture that it was saying a sweet aroma to the Lord. And in the liturgical prayers as well, we say that it was to the Lord. So so the idea that Christ is sacrificing himself, right, for the sake of what? For the sake of the salvation of the people. So why is it that God the Father would be pleased with the sacrifice? Is it because he is enjoying the suffering of his son? It's because he wants the salvation of the people, right? So that's what makes it a sweet aroma. Like, what is being accomplished through the sacrifice? Like, the sacrifice is not um, an act that we do in order to appease a wrathful God. And that at some point, like when we're offering sacrifice, God is pleased with the sacrifice. No, actually, what is it that the sacrifice is accomplishing? The sacrifice is accomplishing forgiveness, which is accomplishing reconciliation with God which ultimately the father wants to be reconciled with his children and he wants his children to have eternal life. So that is what's pleasing. It is not the sacrifice system itself that's pleasing. It's not the concept of the sacrifice. It's why the sacrifice was needed to begin with. And before the fall of man, there was no sacrifice. There was no concept of sacrifice um, in the Garden of Eden. There was no need for sacrifice in the Garden of Eden. Man was already reconciled to God in the Garden of Eden. God didn't say, I need you to sacrifice something for me so that I could feel like happy with sacrifice, right? Sacrifice was a nece something necessary, right, for the sake of the reunification of man to God. It's not good in and of itself, right? In heaven, for instance, is there sacrifice? We're not making sacrifices in heaven. We're not making animal sacrifices in heaven. We're not denying ourselves in heaven. We're not like preventing ourselves from doing anything that we want in heaven. Like the, the sacrifice is like necessary part of reconciliation, but it is not good as, as an end. And that's why it was sweet to God because it performed the action that God wants, which is reunification with his, with his children. Yes, microphone. remember my question so to piggyback off of john's question of like the disconnect between this and like what the jews believe you said it was hard for them because then they would have to accept the fact that they killed the messiah and they got it all wrong but wasn't most of the converts in the early church jews right so it wasn't like the preaching didn't happen like the first three thousand 
or whatever like they went where jews were in the world right and so why has it changed now i guess why why has what changed now like the reception to the gospel so only a minority of jews converted oh. it wasn't it wasn't like a, it wasn't the majority of jews that's why that's why there was so much persecution from the jews right the jew the jews would persecute anyone who was jewish who converted to christianity like look at the missionary journeys of saint paul whenever he would go to place to place who would be the one harassing him it was the jews because they were against this message right and so the 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 the, the jewish people still majority of them remain jewish it was only a minority of the jews that became christian and so um that was seen as being like the schismatic view the schismatic religion the offshoot the heresies of the jewish religion were the christians right um, and even among those three thousand people yeah some of them were jews but there were also a lot of people who were gentiles in that group right not just jewish people alone yeah. so so it's not that it, it's not it's not that from the very beginning like christ was well accepted yeah was there another question okay yes Just a quick question. Um, I always um, dang, I don't know where to start with this. Um, the Bible talks about how there is like a narrow path. Do you believe that everyone will make it to heaven? Because the Bible talks about how there won't be that many people. There's a lot of people on that. Uh, what's that? What he say? Uh, yeah, he says there's a few that will be saved. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you feel about that? So, the what Christ laid out for us mm -hmm. in terms of the ways of salvation, there was a part of the work of salvation that was performed by, by Christ, which mm -hmm. was on the cross. Yeah. But then he goes on and says, but there are certain things that you must do in order to fully receive and benefit from the gift of salvation that Christ gave to us, right? So we use the example in the Orthodox Church of, say, John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a famous chapter where Christ is speaking about the importance of eating of his body and drinking of his blood. Mm -hmm. And he says in that chapter, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. So we can ask the question, well, if Christ is, cru is crucified and for our sins and has granted us salvation, mm -hmm. why are you telling me that there is some action that I have to take and if I don't take it, I have no life. Because that's his own words, right? Mm -hmm. It's because there are certain things that God asks us to do in order for us to benefit from the sacrifice that he gave. And so what you're discussing as the narrow path, mm -hmm. the narrow path is the things that we are called to do in order to receive the salvation that Christ is offering. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when he tells us to stay away from sin, when he tells us to follow the commandments, when he tells us to follow all these things, like in here in the Old Testament, we don't follow all these rules that we're talking about now, but it shows us that God is a God of rules, and there's a lot of things he's asking us to perform. So those things are the narrow path. Now, for anyone who struggles to follow the narrow path, if they're not able to do so, Christ offers forgiveness, and there's repentance and forgiveness. But it doesn't change the fact that there is a path that we are called to live, and that salvation is a cooperation between God and man.
It's not just God alone doing something and we receive it. It's something that God initiates, but then we have to respond to. But right now, um, I know the gospel, but the Bible talks about how, like, once you receive the knowledge and the truth, but you still keep keep on will, willfully sinning, there's no more sacrifices for you. What does that mean? Yeah, so you're talking about the book of Hebrews where it says if someone sins again, there is no sacrifice that could grant them salvation. Mm -hmm. Specifically, that verse is speaking about, um, like, someone who... Uh, someone who is baptized mm -hmm. and then they sin against God and leave. Okay. There is no other sacrifice that can be done in order to bring them back again, apart from their own repentance. So it's essentially saying a person who starts out, gets baptized, becomes a Christian, believes in God, but then chooses to go astray and doesn't repent and come back. Then there is no salvation for them. Mm. Mm. Okay. I got you on that. Yes, sir. <coughs> okay, so so we spoke about this. So this is the first part of the burnt offering, or speci speci specifically speaking about the offering of the bull. Now, remember, there were other animals, right, that God said also could be offered. If his offering is of the flocks, which is the sheep or the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. Pretty much it's the exact same thing, but he's saying this can be uh, done with the animals of the flocks instead of the animals of the herd. The herd is the bull, the flocks is the goats and the sheep. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar, and he shall cut it into, into its pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water, then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, almost exactly the same as what we already read for the bulls. Okay? And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of the birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. So now, as we said, God made a way for people who are rich, who are middle class, or who are poor, to offer sacrifice. If you didn't have a bull, if you, then you could offer the goats and the sheep. If you don't have a goats and the sheep, you can offer birds. Okay, who's the famous people who offered birds? Saint Mary and Joseph offered the the birds as a, as a sacrifice, right? Because they were not wealthy, right? So, so these are the op the options: turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Um, Origen speaks about what is like a meditation uh, about why is it that the turtle doves for instance, would be chosen by God to be animals um, that would be offered as sacrifice. He said, in certain kinds of turtle doves, the male pigeon binds itself to a single female and approaches no other even after its death. And I, and I read about it as actually this is true. They, therefore, are a symbol of purity. The pigeons refer to the church, the good turtle dove that bears the Holy Spirit of God, who appeared in the form of a pigeon at the epiphany of the Lord Christ, referring also to the life of simplicity, 
that offering. Therefore is the offering of the church that although may appear as poor in this world and possess nothing more than turtle doves and pigeons, yet she is rich with her purity and simplicity of heart through the work of the Holy Spirit in her. So he's saying, even though, like when you look at a, a, like a pigeon, like a turtle dove, which is kind of like a pigeon, um, you know, you say this animal is very cheap, this animal is very small, like this animal, like why would this animal specifically be something that would be offered, right? And he's saying, well, the, the animal has a very unique quality that maybe you don't find in any other animal, which is that they have one mate for life. And that even after their mate dies, they don't ad adopt another mate. So the, the, the characteristic that makes this animal like uh, good to be offered as a sacrifice is the purity of the animal. It's kind of like the, 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 the pure and simple nature of the animal as opposed to like, you could say, the carnal nature of many other animals. Okay? Yes. Um, about the, the value of the offering. Um, so here we're saying if you can't afford the better one, then you get the, the better one being goats than flocks. Then. Um, if someone was who could afford something better but gives a perfectly good, like not a deficient lesser offering is that considered a bad offering so here it doesn't say specifically like you know if you can afford this then do this or do that but yes i believe it was seen as if you could offer the better right and you chose to offer the minimum then then that wouldn't be seen necessarily as an acceptable uh, acceptable sacrifice just like if you have the parable of the talents Right, In the parable of the talents, you have one servant who was given five talents and he was expected to produce the five. And another one who had the two, he was expected to produce the two. And the one who had the one, he was expected to produce the one. And when he didn't do anything, he had the one, he, he could have given the one, but he didn't give, so he was condemned, right? So you could have seen it as a similar thing. It's like, well, let's say the, the one who had been given the five, also he was kind of lazy or whatever, and he just produced one instead of five. Also, I don't think that the master would have been very pleased with this, right? Not because he gave less, but because his attitude was not the right attitude for, for service, right? So I think it's like the point of this is it's not saying that God requires any specific quantity, but he wants you to give the best that you have, right? The same thing with the quality of the animal. It's the same principle. Any other questions about chapter one? Yes. Um, wasn't the burnt offering an optional one where it says in your free will? So yes. maybe from the free will, it's kind of like the intention of the heart is really what God was looking at in the sacrifice. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't like a, you must do this on this day and rules like that. Yes. Oh, you're saying maybe for the burnt offering, even if you were going to offer the 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 smallest one, it's yeah. not because, I mean, Ian, it's it's kind of like saying, um, how are you going to thank God, right? And different people would maybe thank God in different ways, but a person who has been given much maybe has more to be thankful for than a person who has been given little. But again, it doesn't say doesn't spe say specifically. I'm just. Trying to say, like, if a person is going to give something, then maybe, yeah, maybe they would um, give according to what they're able. Yes. I have two questions. Uh, the first question, you mentioned that 
the non-Jews weren't allowed to do burnt offerings. Mm. So why was that? I think bec- I think because it was it was related. It was like a very special type of offering that was related to their relationship with God as being the children of God. Like they are thanking their father, right? And so, whereas the other ones were seen, and, and again, I'm not saying like God did not outline this. Like I, it's not written here that they must only be this. It was more something that the Jews practiced, maybe because they felt like their relationship with God was unique. And, and to be honest, they looked down on the proselytes. I mean, they didn't they didn't treat the Gentiles, even the ones who had been circumcised, even the ones who had come, they didn't treat them of the same status as someone who was born Jewish. Uh, okay, you got a second question and then a link. The first sacrifice accepted by God was not from a Jewish priest, it's from a pagan priest. We're talking specifically about this type. So of the five sacrifices that are going to be mentioned in Leviticus, this specific type, the burnt offering, is the one that the Jews would, um, would fall down. And what you're, what you're talking about is something that happened before the law. Before the law, the way that people offer sacrifice and all that wouldn't necessarily follow with these rules, right? This is like very specific to now, like we are establishing the nation of Israel and we're establishing the different types of sacrifices that could be offered. It's not to say that all the people who offered sacrifice, like Abraham and Noah and all that, they, that they follow these rules, right? Not necessarily, right? Yes. Um, second question. So in the Old Testament, the, the altar was outside the tabernacle. Like the, I mean the outer court, not in the inner courts. Um, however, like now in the church, we have the altar actually in the Holy of the Holies, so why why there's difference? And also the where they used to wash their hands, it was actually behind the altar. So they used to to do the, the sacrifice, wash their hands, get into their court. However now we have the baptism is in, in the beginning of the church. Okay, so where the baptism the reason the baptism is like on the outside is because it's seen that the baptism is the first step that you have to do in order to enter the church. Saying like the, f- the first act of faith in order for you to join the church is baptism. And that's why the baptism is, is like, so of course our church is weird because our door is from the side. But in a, in, a, in, a, in a traditional church, right, the door would be back there. So the first thing you would see when you come in is the baptismal, meaning if you want to enter and fully participate in the church, you first get baptized and then you come in. That's why the baptism is where it is. Um, Keep in mind, though, there's more than one altar, right? We're talking about the altar of burnt offering, which is the one in the outer court. There's also an altar of incense, which is inside, right? So, so it's not there's they're not it's not just this as the altar that of, of offering. You're also the priest is offering incense inside the tabernacle. Okay. Okay. So that was chapter one, which is the burnt offering. Now, chapter two is speaking about a second offering, which is the grain offering. The grain offering would often be presented after the burnt offering so blood would be shed for the remission of sins and and the grain offering is not serving the same purpose as the burnt offering right remember we said without the remission of without the shedding of blood there is no remission that's what it said in hebrews right so the grain offering was not for the the remission of sins okay instead it was like an act of worship and to acknowledge the provision of god because grain is food and we're saying God is granting us food. He's granting us provision. He's providing for us. And so we are taking 
some of that provision of what God has given us and we are offering it back to God again, again as an act of thanksgiving because of what God has given. There are five variations of the grain offering that are mentioned in this chapter. Okay, The first one is when the grain offering is just the flour. Like a person is offering the flour itself. The second one is when a person bakes a cake with the flour and bakes it in an oven. The third one is if it's baked in a pan. The fourth one, if it's baked in a covered pan. The fifth one is, the, is called the offering of the first fruits of the green heads of grain, which is like taking the actual gr grain, like while well, they're still green, like they're still young, and offering it. Okay, so th they're, they're almost exactly the same, okay? Um, but, but they're explicitly mentioned as five different parts of this chapter that, that speak about if you offer this, then you do this. If you offer this, then you do this. Okay? Yeah. With, with Elijah, that one time that he asked the woman to bake him the cake, was that, was that kind of like a, a variation of a grain offering? No. Okay. <laughs> That was not a that was not an offering yeah, made to like God, yeah, so right? A, yeah. And that woman, she was a Gentile, so so oh, yeah. okay, so so that's totally different. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. So since we're reading the book of Leviticus, can you help us maybe to how can we relate to these things today? You know, like the grain offering, the sin offering, the the sin offering. Maybe that one we relate, but the the grain and the burnt. You know, I'm not bringing fruit and burning the fruit anymore. Things like that. So, so burnt offering, right, is about I'm sacrificing something to give to God, and my motivation is thanksgiving, right? Because that was the purpose of the burnt offering. So, like, for instance, if I'm, if I'm sacrificing my time in order to serve in the church, or if I'm paying tithes, right, like those things are related to thanksgiving. Like we are giving back to God something that... Um, or, or we're, we're, we're sacrificing something good that we believe came from God in order to give it back to him, and it's something very good, like it's of high value. It's not like the, the leftovers, right? Burnt offering. The grain offering, again, it's about provision. So we're giving thanks to God because of he is supporting us. He is financially supporting us. He is supporting our health. He's supporting our relationships. He's supporting whatever. So we are, again, we are giving ourselves to him. Like, for instance, if you think of, like, in a, in a more spiritual sense, like when you think of Hannah, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, what is it that she prayed? She said, God, if you give me a son, then I will dedicate him to the temple, right? So he's saying, God, I'm in to thank you for giving me a son, I will offer him to you, right, in order to serve in the temple. So again, it's not obviously, it's not a grain offering, but it's the same thought process of we are giving to God something that he has given us because of, of thanksgiving, Okay. Yes. And people love Leviticus. It's good. <laughs> what I don't understand the when would I give a grain offering versus when would I give a burnt offering? Because they seem like they're both very similar in their motivation. So my my understanding is that a burnt offering is um, is is a general sacrifice of thanksgiving that is made to God, and because there is the shedding of blood, there is an element of reconciliation and, and forgiveness as a part of that uh, offering, because, because the purpose of the shedding of blood was for, for, for forgiveness as well. 
Whereas the grain offering is not for remission, the grain offering is simply for thanksgiving, and it's offering the th- the, th- the like 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 essentially saying God is providing for us food, and so we are thankful for the food that God is giving us. So we are sacrificing, we're offering some of it back to Him again. So yes, there's and you'll see there's a lot of overlap in these. They are not very distinct in like it's not like you're going to be like this one is only for this and this one's only for that, but. Um, each one had very similar rights, but there's variations of the rights. Um, but um, but it was seen here as being specifically this. That, that's why it's a grain. It's like food. God is providing us for us the harvest. He's providing us food. We are going to thank him for the food. Okay. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. So he took the flour which, of course, you made from the wheat or the barley that you are growing, right? So you have it, you make the flour, you mix it with oil and incense, okay? He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, okay? So what is it saying? One of whom shall take it from his handful of fine flour and oil. Okay, so he's going to take some of it. And he's going to do what? Burn it on the altar of burnt offering. Okay? The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So what's happening to the rest of the offering? Like the person is coming with this entire offering. Flour with oil and frankincense. What does the priest do with it? Takes a handful of it and throws it in the fire. What does he do with the rest of it? He keeps it for himself. Why? Yes, so St. Paul gave the example of the oxen, right? And he says, an, an oxen, you do not muzzle an oxen when he treads out the grain. Meaning that as the oxen is, is like working in the, har- in the uh, like with the crops, right? Whatever grain there is on the ground, right? The ox is free to eat from it. So it's like the ox is getting fed through the work that he is doing. And he gave the same example to the apostles, right? And he said essentially that those who minister to the people of God should be supported through the church. And it is the responsibility of the church to support those ministers. Okay, Here is the same thing. Actually, the Levites, keep in mind, the Levites didn't have any land inheritance. right? They didn't have anything, any property of their own right? in the way that all the other tribes of Israel did. So it was called for the rest of Israel to support the Levites because the Levites were doing a very unique function and role that no one else could do. And because they were seen as being vital and important, that they should not be neglected. Okay, So part of the way that this was done is here in this type of offering, whenever the grain would be offered, um, a big part of this would actually be kept by the priests in order for them um, to, to eat, right? And their families as well, okay? To eat um, from the offering that was being uh, offered, okay? And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven 
It shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So this is now the second one. The first one was fine flour mixed with oil and incense. Now you have the second type, which is grain baked in the oven. So it's like you're making these unleavened cakes, right, that are also mixed with oil, okay, baked in an oven. But if you're offering, so that's the second type. The third type, but if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. So it's a different type of making it. You make it one way in an oven, you make it this way in a pan. Okay, that's the second type. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Okay. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, this is type four, okay, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. It's the same thing. Okay? Yes. No, he's not comparing the different offerings and saying that this one is the most holy offering. He's just saying that this is like holy. It's a holy offering to the Lord. Okay? No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven or any honey in the offering to the Lord made by fire. Okay? Why should there be no leaven? Because leaven symbolizes sin which is why and also in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the bread that they make is without leaven because it just should be pure and without sin. Um, regarding that, it says in Exodus chapter 12, For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. So leaven should not be found anywhere, okay? Um, and leaven was not used in any offering, okay? Um, what about honey? So honey was seen as like a symbol of pleasure, right? Because it's sweet. So you are not making the these unleavened wafers or, or bread uh, cakes with honey because we are not like enjoying the fellowship of God along with like living with the pleasures of the world at the same time. So don't use any honey. St. Jerome mentions this he says god has no pleasure in the sweet and delicious things but seeks of man to be serious working with reason as it is befitting to eat the passover with bitter herbs so again in the passover in exodus chapter 12 he says that when you're eating the passover meal you're eating it with bitter herbs which is representing what it's representing that this passover that we are celebrating is necessary the slaughtering of animals right the, the slaughtering of these firstborn all of this is because of our sin like, it's not just a party. You know, sometimes a lot of things that we do in the church on feast days and celebrations, we, we, we take it to be like a party. Like, maybe we see this the most in weddings, right? Weddings are seen as, like, joyous, okay? But some people take it as all this is about is just having a party and being happy and all of that without focusing at all on, like, the spiritual side of what's actually happening. Why is it even that we're having this ceremony in the church? Why do people have to come to church to be married to begin with? Why not just go to the court and be married like why get married at all like th there's something unique about the union of the people with the holy spirit 
um, that we do in the church, and the focus should be on like the spiritual emphasis of it. Even when, you know, again, like when we celebrate the feasts of like, let's say the resurrection, right? Are we thinking about the reason that Christ died for our sins was because of our sins? Like we are happy, we are, we are happy now on the day of resurrection because we're focusing on the good that's been done to us because of the resurrected Christ. The week before, we were mourning the entire week. We were sad the entire week. It's like with the bitter herbs, right? Like we are bitter because we are, we're, we're remembering that the reason that Christ had to die for us was because of our own sin, and we brought him to that, right? So, so the emphasis here on, on all these offerings, which are sacrifices, right, is, is also bringing to mind our own sin, right? And that the offering that we should be offering to God is a pure offering, right? It is not something that is is offered casually it's not something that's offered like while 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 living in a life of sin without repentance okay as for the offering of the first fruits okay so now this is the when when he says the offering of the first fruits he's speaking about the offering of the first fruits of the crops so whenever um, someone is reaps harvest the very first of everything like would be given to god so as for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for sweet aroma. So this is a different type of thing, right? Listed under the grain offering, but this is not exactly like the other grain offerings because this one is not burnt. All the other ones were burnt. But this is an offering that is offered to the Lord without being burnt, okay? But this is still seen as a sweet aroma. This is why people, let's say, who get a new job, let's say they'll take the first paycheck, that they get and they will give it to the church and they say this is my offering of first fruits right the very first money that i receive instead of keeping it for myself like i'm giving it to god and every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your god to be lacking from your grain offering with all your offerings you shall offer salt so salt was seen as a preservative right so it's kind of like we are preserving this offering from corruption so we're rejecting the leaven, which is the sin. We're rejecting the honey, which is the pleasures. And we are adding salt for purification and preservation. Okay? So God is expecting and intending for our, our offerings that we offer him to be not corrupted with the world. This is why, for instance, in the church, we don't accept donations of people who uh, obtain the money in a way that was unlawful. Like we didn't somebody like wins money in the lottery, like we're against the gambling and playing the, the lottery, we wouldn't accept the donations of the person, right? Because again, you wouldn't take the, the, the donation, like you wouldn't make this grain offering with something that is corrupted, right? So it's, the salt is representing this. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted in the fire, grain beaten from full head. So this grain, these green heads, this is like means it's still not ripe. It's like the, the very early, the very beginning, because again, it's the first fruit, right? And it says the green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten. What does it mean that to beat the grain? Grain beaten from the full heads. So if you have wheat, right? Okay, and you beat the wheat, what happens? Hmm? That's grinding the wheat, it will become flour. But what happens when you beat the wheat? What will fall out of the wheat? The seeds, right? So again, what are the seeds? 
So if you imagine when, when a farmer is farming and they're going to reap the wheat, the wheat is going to be used, obviously, to make flour, right? But also, these seeds are what? These seeds are the next generation of plants that you're going to plant, right? So, so those, those seeds are very important because that's how you're going to have the next crop, okay? But you're saying what? Again, by offering this, it's like we are saying God is the one who's providing for us our provision. God is the one who is granting us the crop, and it's not the seeds themselves, right? So it's again, it's a giving of something that is valuable to us, to God. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Okay, as before. Okay, and that's the end of chapter 2. So we covered the burnt offering in chapter 1, and we covered the grain offering in chapter 2. Okay, any questions? He said at the, at the beginning that there's some type of violence that are required and some type of violence that are, that are, that are optional, Yanni. So my question is, which sacrifices are optional and which sacrifices are required? I think the burnt offering is, th is a, the burnt offering is a free will offering. I believe the sin and the trespass offering are not, um... The grain offering also is not a free will offering. I, I don't, uh, I'll have to. So, so, so back to my question. Um, so, so based on that story, how does God, how does God know if he's going to accept the sacrifice or do Yanni reject it? So, it's not mentioned, obviously, in the book of Genesis, the exact reason why God accepted the sacrifice of Abel and not Cain. We know he accepts the sacrifice of Abel because he offered an animal, um, and because his heart was, he had the good intention in the offering. Why he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice, um, well, it was understood at the time, again, through tradition, because this isn't something that's written in the scripture. It was understood at the time what God accepted in terms of sacrifice, which is why also Noah and Abraham and these other people, all who came before Moses, before this, knew to offer an animal sacrifice. At what point in the book of Genesis does, it, does God tell anyone that you need to offer an animal sacrifice? It's not written, right? So how is it that all these different people are offering animal sacrifice because it was understood and that somehow God communicated to the people the type of sacrifice that he expected. So the only reason that Abel would even think to offer such an animal sacrifice is because God had to have expressed what type of sacrifice he was willing to receive. Okay, Whereas um, Cain did not offer the type of sacrifice that God expected. One other interesting thing about Cain and Abel at the time of Cain and Abel, were they eating meat? No. So what was the purpose 
of able even to be uh, a shepherd of animals to offer sacrifice. Like there wasn't a personal benefit to having these animals apart from offering sacrifice to God, right? So, so, so Abel's like view and understanding of of like the importance of offering to God. Like if God again, like I'm I'm imagining, right? Like I don't know, but let's say God tells the people, "Hey, this is the type of sacrifice that I want," and then Abel's like, "Okay, well I gotta get a bunch of animals because I want to be able to offer to God sacrifice." So that was acceptable to God because he's making an effort to obtain for himself the animals that need to be offered as sacrifice. Whereas Cain, he said, you know what? This is my job and I'm just going to give him what I want. Back to what we said at the very beginning is that God is not just going to accept anything we want to give him. He wants certain things. He wants it to be offered a certain way. And that's what's acceptable to him. Okay. Yes. Like we said, God is a God of rules and he like asks for us to worship him in certain specific ways. But it seems like today there are some things from the book of Leviticus that we'll still kind of follow, but others that we don't. And so who decides what we follow and what we don't in the New Testament? The synod decides. <laughs> no, but that's the real answer. Okay. Um, the, the church decides what of the regulations that were provided in the Old Testament that God intended to be for all time and what are the ones that God intended to be limited? So what's an example of something that is all time? The Ten Commandments. Kind of obvious one, right? <laughs> the, the Ten Commandments were given in the Old Testament but it wasn't like, okay, after Christ, it's like, okay, you know, these, 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 these commandments, you don't really have to follow them anymore. No, not only do you follow them, but you follow them to even higher level than before. Okay, so that was Old Testament, right? But when it comes to the animal sacrifices, okay, well, what, what of that do you follow? Well, even if you look in the book of Acts, when... God reveals to St. Peter when he has a vision and he sees these animals coming down from heaven and, and God says, you know, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I've never eaten anything un unclean. And God says, do not call unclean what God has declared or do not call common what God has declared clean or something like that, right? What is the purpose? He's saying, well, all of that, all of that, that uncleanness stuff and all the stuff related to the different dietary restrictions that were given in the Old Testament for cleanness, like he's saying in the Old Testament, it's like if you touched this animal or if you ate of this animal, then you would be unclean and you couldn't like come and, and, and worship God for like a certain period of time, right? So it's unclean. Um, and you'd have to do ceremonial washing and different things in order to be clean again. So um, that is something that God himself said no longer applies. But there are some things that people have different opinions about. Right. So, for instance, in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, up until now, they don't eat pork. And they say the reason don't eat pork is because God had said in the Old Testament that we don't eat pork. Well, why specifically pork? Like if all these other animals, like God said, is clean, I don't know why they, 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 they stick with that. But we don't, right? So there's a difference of opinion. Their synod believes that eating pork is still off limits, and our synod says, no, it's fine. 
right? And there are others that I'm sure Sephra knows about. Don't she keep smiling? Um, you know, like the the one the one that comes up all the time. And I'm just gonna say it. It has to do with like uh, women who give birth and how many days they have to wait to take communion after giving birth, or women taking communion during a menstrual cycle, right? Why is it that the church decided that even though these rules are given in the book of Leviticus, along with these other things that maybe we don't practice, why is it that the church decided that these specific practices we're going to practice? I'll it, is, it is not for the reasons given here. It's not because of the uncleanness, because we don't believe that anyone is unclean for any reason, okay? It's more of a spiritualization of something that had been practiced in the past that we are now trying to practice it for a different reason, right? Related to reverence and not related to uncleanness. Now, a lot of people don't agree with that. And, I, and I'm not here to defend it or to deny it or to anything. I don't know. All I'm saying is, who decided that? It was the Senate who decided. And if at some point in the future the Senate has changed their mind, then they changed their mind, right? But as of today, it's, their mind has not changed. We uh, compare verse 16 with verse 12, which says, As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma, even though here it's burned. So these are two different offerings. The offering of the first fruit is something, and this is a different thing. This offering, <coughs> this is, if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, um, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruit green heads of grain roasted on fire, green beaten from full heads. Okay, so that's one type of offering. That's the offering of the, the grain beaten from full heads. Okay, that's like the seeds. This one over here is if you're offering the first fruits, meaning the actual first fruits of the, so that would be like the wheat itself. That's my understanding uh, anyway. I mean, I'm, unless someone can show me otherwise, but I, I tried to understand the distinction as well, and that's what I understood, um, that these are different variations of it. Like one of them is you are offering the first fruits. The other one, you are offering the first fruits of the green heads of grain roasted on uh, grain beaten from the full heads, as opposed to you're offering the full heads themselves. But that's just my interpretation. Um, any other? Okay, can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. <coughs> we thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing. We ask that you help us to understand all the requirements that you have given to your people from the beginning, not because we believe that you ask us of these things now, but you ask us, O Lord, of the Spirit behind all of these offerings. Help us, O Lord, to offer to you a pure offering from our heart, something that is well-pleasing to you, something, O oh God, that you will accept and receive from our hands because of the thanksgiving, because we offer to you, O oh Lord, what is ours from what you have given us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for every good thing you have offered us. And we ask, O oh God, that you accept us sinners and you forgive our sins. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory.
glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.